Good morning. I want to say a special welcome to the guys, the husbands, who courageously came back. <laughs> if you haven't, if you weren't here last week, uh, this is this is Husband Sunday. Last week we had Wife Sunday. Um, we are in the Book of Ephesians, and we are in a section that's really dealing with the subject of marriage, and. Uh, perfect timing. I went to a wedding on Friday and it was spectacular. Hewitt's, um, so sweet, so beautiful, so encouraging. And uh, Jake and Hannah, groom and bride, looked perfect. And it was just this amazing ceremony. And I was just reminded again of the beauty of a man and a woman standing before God and committing their lives to each other. Over the last few weeks, I've had several conversations with couples who are either done or on their way and fighting with everything in them to try and figure it out and make their marriage work. And every single one of those couples, they stood at an altar, just like Jake and Hannah. And they looked at each other eye to eye and they said, I'm yours. I will love you, fill in the blank. Till what? Oh yeah, till death do us part. I don't know that there's anything other than the gospel itself, more important for us to talk about than marriage. The effect is incomprehensible. I grew up in a broken home, so I know what that's like from a kid's perspective. And I've been married for 32 years. And so I know it is the greatest gift and blessing in my life, and it's one of the hardest things I've ever done. And it's because of me, not my sweet wife. <laughs> so we're talking about husbands today, but I, I really felt a need to just be super clear as we think about marriage, because we're going to end basically in the same place that we're starting Marriage begins with a male and a female. They are different. They are unique. Here's a picture just to give us some, some of you guys are visual people. So here you go. Two shapes, a circle and a crescent. They're different, right? They are not the same. And God made it that way, but they correspond to one another. They were made for each other. And together, they create a shape, let's call it that, that neither of them can make all by themselves. And that is by God's design. He intended it that way. Now, quick note to singles. If you're either one of those individual shapes, you are a person made in the image of God, full of value and worth, loved by him beyond what you can imagine. But there is a unique design for the correspondence of these two people, husband and wife, 
that can only be achieved by them together. So, with that in mind, let's, let's think together about this unique, glorious, challenging relationship of husband and wife. And as I've tried to, over the years, work this relationship out in my own mind and then explain it to others, I, I talk about it this way. It's a contributive model of marriage. It's a way of thinking, how do these two go together? Here it is. Husband and wife make distinct yet interdependent contributions to the marriage relationship, which are equally valuable and fulfilling or valuable to fulfilling God's purposes for marriage. Now we're using, uh, Jeff kicked us off last week, we're using marriage dance imagery. So I thought as we think about this passage, let's think of it as dance lessons for husband and wife. And here's what these dance lessons involve. A role to assume, this is for both, a calling to fulfill, a priority to protect, a pattern to follow, and then a watchword to rehearse. With that said, let me read our passage. And I'm going to include the wives because there's even some material there for the fellas. So we're going to pick up in verse 22 and go through 30. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that, he might, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body. Last week, Jeff covered the first part of that passage, the dance steps, so to speak, for wives. And so I've put it into our graphic here. Um, go back and listen to that message. I'm not going to review that at all other than to point out these key elements. The role that we're given in scripture for a wife is helper. You could put responder in there. I think that's a, a helpful descriptor. A, her calling is to respect her husband. We'll see that in actually verse 33. Her priority is submission. And let me just say this, unfortunately for a long time, women were told that their, their role was to submit. What an inspirational role, right? So that's why I'm here. I'm just here to submit, right? No, your role is to be a helper. 
Your priority is to submit. That's how you go about fulfilling that. The pattern is as the church submits to Christ, and then the watchword to rehearse for a wife is supportive partnership. So with that said, let's look at the dance steps of husbands. To begin with, the role is he is called the head. Uh, The descriptor for that could be initiator. There is no more value in that. He is not superior. He's not better than in any way. It's just a role. And it's a God-given role. He didn't come up with it. Sorry to burst your bubble, but people in history didn't come up with this. God did. It's his plan, his design. It's what he has uh, called husbands from the very beginning. Back in 523, we saw that the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. Now, we need to avoid two dangerous conclusions about that word head. And I have read more than I can remember on just that one word. Feel free to look up kephale. That's your Greek word. Go look that up and read till your heart's content. But here's two things we have to avoid. First of all is the conclusion that it is anything but an expression of leadership. It's amazing to me how hard people work to try and say, I know what it sounds like, but it can't mean that. And the fear is because leadership has been so abused. But let's, let's be clear. We don't change the meaning of something just because we're afraid of how it might be applied. It just is what it is. So Ephesians 1.22, the father put all things under Christ's feet and gave him as what? Head over all things to the church. 1 Corinthians 11.3, the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. That, that is full of obvious authority. And it can't just apply to the man under Christ and Jesus under the father and then it not apply to a husband and wife. You see how that works? So what's most important is we go, okay, it means authority, but what kind? That's where we try to get some clarity around what God intended. And that leads us to the second dangerous conclusion. And that is that the husband's authority is for his own benefit. Nothing could be further from the truth. His authority is given him, as we will see, for the good of all those that he leads. He is essentially the last in line, not the first. So this becomes very clear when we look at his calling. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives. That's the calling to love Now, a lot of men, myself included, early on, I instinctively sort of thought, well, that means I ought to feel loving toward my wife. And that's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. That's just not what he's talking about here. 
Because if we're thinking about feelings, feelings are a response to something. So if I feel loving toward my wife, it probably means that I'm pleased with her, which is a conditional love, which is not the kind of love he's talking about here. This is a volitional, not a conditional love. This is I choose to love you because you are a gift to me from the one who made me, from the one who knows me. Yes, we live in a a sinful world that's broken in every possible way. But that does not change the fact that God is the giver of this gift. And so we love in response, honestly, to him, not the one that was given to us. Paul envisions a different version of love. DC Talks said love is a verb. John Mayer said it a little bit later, but... There's plenty of people that get the idea. Was that funny? Um, We tend to think of love being something that we speak, even if our actions completely contradict it. But nothing could be further from the truth. Paul calls husbands to faithful, knowing, active, and enduring love that seeks to secure good for our wives. Now, this hit me right in the face early on in our marriage. Has anybody in here read that that little book called The Five Love Languages? Okay, so we took the test and here's our results. I'm just being transparent with you. I want you to notice I'm on the left, Kimberly's on the right. So my number one, like I need this badly. Words of affirmation, tell me I'm awesome. Okay. Thank you. I appreciate that. Now just make your way down to the bottom. Acts of service. I appreciate it. It's nice. It's just not number one. Okay. Now, if you just glance over there to the, to the other side of Kimberly's, what's her number one? So I'm telling her constantly, honey, I love you. I adore you. You're the greatest thing on earth. And she's like, look at the list, man. <laughs> and, and, and I'm waiting for all that affirmation. And she's like, honey, I cleaned out the pantry. I'm like, well, it probably needed to be cleaned. <laughs> so if I'm going to love like God tells me to love, I got to set my list aside and I got to say what communicates love to her. And I'm still learning. I do it imperfectly, but I do know that in the grand scheme of things, words are cheap and action means everything. Now, my priority as a husband, and these go right together, if I'm called to love, my priority then is self-sacrifice. So my wife's priority is submission. She's willingly saying no, denying her own will in order to follow mine. What, What an act of love that is. Mine is to say, I know, I know exactly what I want and need all of the time. But I set that aside for the wants and needs of my bride. 
Again, I don't do that perfectly. But that is the calling. That is the priority. It is self-sacrifice. And guys, if this doesn't feel to you like the idea of submission feels to your wife, then you don't get it. You ought to feel just as uncomfortable, just as disturbed by the idea of self-denial as your wife feels of saying, God gave this guy to me and I'm going to follow him. That's terrifying, but that's what I'm going to do because I trust him. That's what it ought to feel like for you and me as husbands. I am going to lay myself aside. And that's what that understanding shapes and safeguards our understanding of headship. Notice how Jesus talks about his sacrifice and his role in John 10. He uses shepherd imagery. I don't think any of us would uh, disagree with the idea that the shepherd is leading the sheep. Can we all agree to that? So here's what he says. I am the good shepherd. And what does the good shepherd do? He lays down his life for the sheep. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down. I deny myself. I sacrifice me of my own accord so that they might live. That is the picture. And he is the pattern. Paul says we're to Love our wives as Christ loved the church, verse 25, and gave himself up for her. The greatest possible evidence we're told of love is laying down one's life, John 15. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Guys, just sit in that for a while. That's heavy. And if I can, just a quick word to wives. This is just an understanding kind of thing. When a guy really understands this, it really is scary for him. Because he knows that if he will really live and love this way, there is a great chance that he could be taken advantage of. So in one sense, I don't want to make these, they're not the same exactly, but there are a lot of similarities. Both of us have to choose to embrace a life of faith, a life of dependence, a life of strain where we are, we're walking in ways that are not natural and are honestly uh, scary in many ways to us. But that's, that's the deal. That is the gift of marriage. Paul gives a second pattern. Drop down to verse 28. And it's really just an extension of the first. But he says in verse 28, In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, 
just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. So there is an important thing for us as husbands to do in terms of how we see our wife. We, we can't see them as other, like kind of take it or leave it. Someday she's okay, someday she isn't. Some days we're together, some days we're like, it's like, no. From God's perspective, you're always one. Now, whether you act like that, that's on you. That's on me. But from his perspective, we are members of one another, no different than if we set up, if we brought Jeff up here and put him on the stage, we're like, everything that's a part of Jeff is a part of Jeff all the time. There's never a time when it's not. That's always true in a marriage relationship when you stand at the altar and give your life to each other, that's when the Lord says, you are now one. A healthy person instinctively takes care of themselves, right? And if somebody doesn't take care of themselves, we would just go, something's wrong. I may not know what it is, but something's just not right there. And I think Paul is saying that ought to be the same thing for a husband who neglects his wife. Something's wrong there. He's, he's not really grasping the gravity of what's, what he's a part of. Otherwise, just like he takes care of himself, he's going to take care of his wife. And the descriptor for that is nourishing and cherishing. We could use the words provision and protection. Again, I, I think sometimes we get in this competition of just, I'll just use a topic. Can, can a wife work outside the home? Well, of course she can. But she will not answer to God for providing for that home. The man will. It is his God-given responsibility to provide, to make sure that's taken care of. It's not a position of power or value or superiority. It's a job. It's an assignment given by the creator. Kimberly is incredibly gifted. She has worked in a number of ways outside the home. That's always been good. But we understood from day one, and I didn't come up with this because I didn't have a clue. Fortunately, there were some guys around me that said, here's how you need to do it. We just understood. I just said, honey, you know, if, if our home is in a healthy place and we're doing okay and you've got some time and some margin and all that, if there's something you'd like to do outside, go for it. I'm your greatest fan. But I just want you to know you can always depend on me to make sure that we have what we need. I'm thinking like shelter, food, clothing, transportation, I'm going to own that, and I'm going to go to God with that and ask him to provide for us, and I'm going to work my tail off. And if you have opportunity and desire, then that's a beautiful thing. But do you see how that's different than if she believes if she doesn't, if she doesn't get it done, it's not going to get done. 
that contradicts this arrangement that God has put together. We'll go back up to verse 26. Paul tells us that Jesus laid down his life in order to secure life for his bride, the church. Christ gave himself up for her. Why? That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that he might that she might be holy and without blemish. So this is the why. And it's, it's a description, not a prescription. So men, we can't do this for our wife in the same way that Jesus does it for the church. But at the very least, can we say that Jesus gave himself for his bride's benefit and transformation? Can we say that? So then I can, I can adopt that as an aim, as a husband. I want to do all that I do so that my wife can flourish spiritually. And he mentions the word, and I'll just say this, guys. It, I'm not coming down on you. I, it, I understand it. I, I totally get it. I'm a guy. I'm a husband. But guys are like, yeah, I just don't feel motivated to get in the word. I'm like, well, so then what do you have to give to your wife other than your own opinion? And that's not going to get you very far. So I have, because I do feel so needy, so desperate, I go to this book again and again and again because my ideas will never get it done. And what I've always wanted to do, and my wife knows the word, so I feel that pressure. <laughs> but when we're talking about something, about where we're going and what we're doing and all that kind of stuff, I want to be able to say, I think this is what God says. What do you think? And that's where we land. We're going after what God says. Not what she says, not what I say. That's what we want. And I can't offer that if I'm not in it for myself. If I'm not letting the word first wash over me. Husbands, we are trusting God to use our sacrifices, every one of them, to accomplish his redemptive work in the lives of our wife, in the life of our wife. So let me wrap this up with the watchword for the husband. This is what we need to rehearse. Servant leadership. Servant leadership. Guys, lead. Get out there. Take it on, not as a dictator, not, as, not in an authoritarian way. Just embrace it. That's what God called you to be. And do it with all of your heart, 
not for your own benefit, for the good of your wife and if you have children for them and for generations to come. But lead. So I'm not going to go through this, but if we go back to our picture again, the contributive model of marriage, then you can see, just fill in those blanks later, that those same components apply to a husband as do a wife. And with these sacred steps in mind, Paul finishes this way, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh, a quote of Genesis 2.24, This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Very quickly, that word mystery, it's used elsewhere. I'm sure we've talked about it before, but it's this idea that it is something unknown that is being revealed. So there's something about marriage that even when Moses wrote those first words related to the origin of marriage. It wasn't at that time or until Paul wrote this book understood that it was a picture of something far greater than just kind of what we would have seen face value. It was that, get this now, in that very first marriage, God Almighty had Christ and the church in mind. And it would be like a groom and his bride in a permanent, unbreakable covenant relationship. And so that that means that your marriage and my marriage is about way more than companionship. It's not just a social institution. It is a monument to the redemptive plan of God, which began in the garden and will be finished up when all things are made new. Here's the picture that we get from the book of Revelation. Revelation 19, 6 through 9, John writes, I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come. That's the picture. Your marriage is that picture. How all of history is going to be resolved. Your marriage helps us envision that. Imperfectly, yes. But that was its purpose. His bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Paul has been alluding to this throughout the book of Ephesians. And it's interesting as we study chapter five, what that helps us think about as we go back to chapter one. I wanna read a little section there. And uh, we see an ever greater significance to his words, even beyond what we originally talked about. This is Ephesians 1, seven through 10. 
in him, that is Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. So he talked about this mystery is great. I'm talking about Christ and the church. The mystery is this just mind-blowing union that we get to have with our Savior for all of eternity. And our marriages, which have all kinds of purposes and all kinds of benefits, but the chief purpose of that was to give us just a glimpse of the greatest gift we will ever have for all of eternity. That's what this is about. And there's plenty to learn, plenty to grow in. But the most vivid picture of that uniting that Paul speaks of is a man leaving his father and mother and holding fast to his wife. And then that brings us to Paul's conclusion in verse 33. Therefore, in light of all of that, in light of how important this is, let each one of you husbands love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. You know, it's, it's not like we're just doing each other favors. We are fulfilling one of the greatest mandates that God has ever given a man or a woman on this planet. So I'll say this. I, I just don't know that there's much we can give greater attention to right here in this house than our marriages. And wherever you are, man, if you're, if you're killing it, things are going great, praise God. Give it away. Help somebody. And if you are in a ditch and hanging on for dear life, please ask for help. I can't tell you all of the counseling appointments I have had, all of the mentors I have gone to, all of the books that I have read. Guys, because I needed it and still do. Get help. There is nothing wrong with that at all. And if you don't think that you need it, there's your problem. Let's get help and let's help each other. And let's ask God to cause our marriages to be everything that we have been talking about these last two weeks. For his glory and our good. As a so what, um, two things, guys, I want to ask you to do. First of all... You've got your dance steps here. So 
Where do you need to work on your steps? What's one thing that seems to be obvious to you today? The Holy Spirit has brought it to mind, pointed it out, highlighted it. And then I'm going to do the same thing Jeff did last week. Um, Guys, I'm going to challenge you to schedule a time with your wife. I am going to do this with Kimberly. She did it with me last week. And it's humbling to sit there and she says, so how am I doing? I'm like, awesome, honey. (laughs) You're amazing. (laughs) Service, acts of service, come on. Uh, No, she, so sweet. And so I'm going to do the same thing. But just schedule a time with your wife and just say, how am I doing? How are you experiencing me as your husband? Take notes and then respond accordingly. So take a moment, prayerfully ask God to guide your steps in that, and then uh, Rob's going to finish us up. bowed and that posture before the Lord of seeking and asking and needing both a humbling and an encouraging message today Lord from your word it's real it's hits home So we cry out to you, Lord. Men and women, husbands and wives, we cry out for you. God, for your design, that that may be our desire, that we not settle for something less, but we pursue nothing less than what would be a a monument that would reveal and point to your covenant, your great love and sacrifice and that relationship between you, Christ, and your church. And we need your strength for that. We need your blessing for that. God, I pray that blessing in my own life and over the life of lives of each man, each husband here, within hearing distance. We have come to you and to your word and we pray that you might encourage and challenge us to dive there and to dive deeply, to fill ourselves to overflowing with your word and with your love and with your grace and with your truth 
that we might be followers of you. God, guide us into our roles and into our relationships. Help us to love and help us to give. Help us to serve. Help us to be all that you have called and created us to be. Thank you for the sufficiency of your grace in our weakness. When we falter and fail, we so desperately need you, but we also need that helpmate that you've made for us, and we thank you for that. God, I pray your, your touch, your healing touch, knowing full well that there are plenty of us who struggle and maybe some who are on the verge, as Monty shared, and I, I, I pray I pray that you would inspire a passionate pursuit of you. That you would bring about healing in the home. That our homes would be a haven. Pray for your protection against the evil one and the evil that resides within us. God, we lift all this to you. We pray it in your name. In Jesus' name, thank you for your blessing. Amen.